Welcome in to the All Things Bama podcast powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated and Fan Nation home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, joined for our midweek edition of the show with Katie Windham, BamaCentral.com staff writer who covers a multitude of sports at the Capstone Forest. Katie, uh, obviously, we're, we're both kind of sad right now because we're recording this after uh, on a Tuesday night after the Braves lost game three to the Dodgers. Um, but it's October. October baseball is really special, and we're sad about that. But you know what I can't be sad about? Alabama's performance in Starkville over the weekend. What a bounce back for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, for sure. That was a great transition. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll power through our sadness to give you all a good podcast here um, to our loyal listeners. But, yeah, Saturday in Starkville, um, you know, the team had kind of talked about throughout the week um, – wanting it to be a statement win. Um, they hadn't prepared well before AM. They were trying to prepare better before Mississippi State. They weren't pleased with the way they played. They weren't pleased with the way they prepared. And then after the game on Saturday, it was a whole different story. Um, Saban was really light and loose in the press conference. Um, he said it was the first really 60-minute complete game that they played, even though there's still things they got to work on, still things they got to clean up, still mistakes that were made. But overall, it was the most complete performance they'd had. You know, didn't give up a touchdown to – uh, Mike Leach's air raid offense um, won the turnover margin, um, got some big plays on offense after that's something that's kind of been lacking uh, with this team compared to some of the recent Alabama teams that have scored a lot with big plays. Um, you had that on Saturday night. Um, so it was uh, it was a, the most uh, all-around performance for the Crimson Tide this year outside of maybe Southern Miss, but against um, real, you know, competition level, it was the, the most complete game from start to finish. Yeah, I'm still waiting on Mike Leach. I'm still waiting for a Mike Leach offense to score a touchdown on a Nick Saban defense. I, two years now, I mean, he's been shut out of the end zone. I know they finally scored points this year. They got three field goals, but um, still waiting on a Mike Leach offense to score on a, a score touchdown on a Nick Saban defense. It hasn't happened. And really, I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there, Katie. You know, we're not going to go too much into our recap of sorts, but we, we do want to hit on that. This Alabama team is really, to me, and I've said it earlier this week, I think the A&M game was the punch in the mouth this team needed, and you saw it on Saturday night because, you know, a lot of people thought Mississippi State was going to be able to keep this game close because you had seen Alabama so Jekyll and Hyde. You know, at home, they were legit. They were they were dominating opponents, right? This dominated Ole Miss that go on the road lose to AM, really get out, out physical at the line of scrimmage. And then against Mississippi State, I mean, Alabama really, really, really in all phases had a solid game. I mean, it was their best game of the year, like you said. Um, Will Anderson was the Will Anderson we know him to be, right? And, and to me, it's just when I go back and I watch the film on this, Katie, it's so dumb to me why you would just leave him one-on-one -on -one with anybody. I mean, he's, he's the best pass rusher in college football. I, I really do believe that. And all, all due respect to Thibodeau from, from Oregon, he's probably going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft this spring. But if Will Anderson was available to go in this spring, I, I think he has a great shot. I mean, he would have a good shot to go number one overall. I think he's that kind of player. And he proved that on Saturday night against a couple of talented tackles from Mississippi State, honestly. Um, and, and two, John Mechie was a guy who me and Joey actually talked about in our midseason report card that needed to step up a guy who we really expected big things from, and he just hadn't delivered. Um, but he delivered in a big way on Saturday night. Bryce Young was, was unbelievable. He was even – I think to me he was way more impressive on third downs. I mean, I don't think he – I don't think he threw an incompletion on third down, honestly. 
Um, I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers, but I, I, I think he was perfect on third downs. Um, he ran the football. Um, I know a lot of people were like, oh, Bryce, you know, why don't you run it more? And, and he showed off the legs a little bit too. So um, good game from him. The secondary right getting three interceptions. Jordan Battle returning one to, to, the, to the end zone was big. So this team really beginning to, to find its stride. And find its stride, I mean, against now they're facing a Tennessee team who, you know, just is coming off a tough, a tough loss to Ole Miss where it, it got ugly at the end, right? Their fans are throwing trash on the field. Um, their quarterback, Hennon Hooker, is questionable for this game. He got hurt, hurt his knee there at the end of that game. Um, but Alabama's getting Tennessee at the right time. And then guess what? After Tennessee, you get a bye week. Then you have LSU, who um, just fired at Ogeron, right? I mean, they're, they're into separation agreement. So um, interesting schedule right now coming up for Alabama. Um, but they're playing their best football at the right time, of course. Yeah, this – this Tennessee matchup is going to be interesting coming up. Tennessee's a team that I can't – I haven't gotten to watch a lot of them this year just because when their games are on and when I'm traveling or whatever or at Alabama games. But, um, you know, from from the little bit I've seen and from some of their box scores, it's been impressive, some of their scoring ability. Um, but we were all still up in the press box on Saturday night when um, all that craziness was happening at the end of the Ole Miss-Tennessee game. And so uh, – you know, the players have been talking about this week what the rivalry uh, means to them, which I don't know really if <laughs> they're being completely honest um, or if they're just kind of coached up on what to say because it's so hard for these guys. Um, I mean, really the freshmen, even though we don't get to talk to freshmen, um, but sophomores maybe, you know, were what, five, four or five, six years old when this streak started. So I think it's kind of hard for them to grasp Um what this rivalry really means, but it's still a big deal for the fans. And that's what a lot of them have been saying. And so um, this Tennessee matchup is going to be interesting this weekend, but yeah, just to some of your points about the Mississippi state game. Um, Will Anderson is just a monster. It was a tough night for the Mississippi state offensive line and their quarterback, Will Rogers, who was sacked four times by Anderson, I believe seven times overall. Um, it's just a tough matchup for any offensive lineman with Will Anderson. And we we kind of hit, we're talking in the car on the way over to Starkville on Saturday about how he's such a good player, but maybe his sack stats hadn't, you know, been showing that so far this season. He'd consistently been getting pressure, but maybe not converted into a lot of sacks, but it definitely showed up on Saturday night. And then to your point about Bryce Young and running, he had a couple of nice runs on third down. And I feel like that's kind of been the biggest complaint with him from some um, fans or critics as he won't run it. Um, but he showed he does have the, the, that ability to scramble when he needs to. He's always, I think, still primarily looking to pass, but he does have the ability to run. And I don't think it's that he's scared to run. I think he's just so uh, confident in his passing abilities and his receivers that he's looking for the pass. But if he needs to run, he will. And um, we can see more of that against Tennessee on Saturday. No, 100%. And, and yeah, it just, it just baffles me that to the, you know, before this Mississippi State game, there are people questioning his play. There are people saying he should do this. He's a smart guy. He's a smart player. And there's obviously a lot of – 26 for, flavors. Sorry. That this, this video just popped up on my desktop for some reason. Anyway, um, there was there was a um, – you know, like I said, there were fans. It just bothers me that they, they want to blame him for a lot of Alabama struggles, especially in that game. Bryce Young, it wasn't the reason why the offense was struggling at all. And they want to say, why won't you run? Man, like, again – he showed his wheels against the state, but it's like there's so many scary moments now in this game where it's like a bad slide or, you know, him, you know, him, him trying to get out of bounds, late hits. There's so many things going on. You know, his size too also plays a factor in this. 
Um, you know, you're trying to avoid injury. And he, he's so cerebral. He's so smart with his arm. He can put the ball in tight windows. He's waiting for that last minute. He's very patient in the pocket. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, he's been – I gave him an A++ on the midseason report card. And after that game, I mean, he's just been lights out, I thought. And there's still room for him to develop, right? He's only, he's only started um, seven games. Um, so he's still got a long way to go in his development. Um, but he's been unbelievable. Uh, you know, and I, and I mentioned Mechie, uh, man, and I want to say this too about the receivers. Nick Saban addressed this a little bit, but there was Treshawn Holden um, who tweeted out, um, and I don't know how you took these tweets, Katie, or not, but Jai Hall tweeted about the playing time, things like that. Um, and he was, Saban was asked about that, and, you know, he talked about how some of these guys are so talented, they just need to know how to use it, right? They, they need to figure it out. Treshawn Holden was, you know, talking about how he, he was surprised, you know, they were able to let him shine on Twitter, things like that. Um, take that for what you will, but um, the, Mechie really needs to become a leader for this group, and I think he did that on Saturday night with his performance um, and, and where he can go kind of moving forward because Jamison Williams might be the most dynamic player, but I think in terms of best all-around receiver right now in this locker room, I think John Mechie has that title. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and, and it's kind of like what he does all around. Like today during media availability, we got to talk to Mechie and um, somebody asked him about blocking and wide receivers and if it's kind of a competition between them or who's the best blocker. And he said, well, I mean, I think I'm the best blocker is the receivers. And uh, I'd agree with that. You know, he's been in the program uh, the longest, you know, kind of outside of Slade, um, or I guess probably has the most experience. And I've been, I think a, a lot of um, Alabama fans and, people that cover the team have been waiting on Mechie to have that kind of breakout game. And um, he, he definitely had that on Saturday night. And I asked him a little bit about that today, about how important, or did he kind of just know from that first drive, it was going to be a big night for, for him. Um, he, he said it was important for the offense as a whole, really to set the tone with scoring on that first drive. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd been kind of waiting to see that out of him. And I think once that's opened up, um, I think we'll continue to see it going forward. And part of that could be, I haven't gone back to watch uh, the game yet, but because, you know, Jamison had been such a threat the last couple of games, it may have been that people are kind of starting to forget about Mechie a little bit um, and it's giving him more opportunities. Yeah. And I think John wanted to get the, the taste of the A&M game out of his mouth. And obviously the team did as a whole, but especially John Mechie with the drops he had in that game, he was able to bounce back nicely. Let's transition, Katie. Uh, I got to touch on this. The big news out of the SEC West, because I do think it pertains to Alabama, is obviously LSU now is in the business of trying to find a new head coach. And you wrote a column about this, you know, how things change so quickly in this division, so quickly in this conference. Just two years ago, Ed Ogeron was in the visitor locker room talking about he was going to beat Alabama on the field. He was going to beat Alabama in recruiting. That didn't happen. 21 months later, after winning a national championship, you're fired. Life comes at you fast. And to me, I mean, depending on what LSU does with this hire, um, and, you know, Ed O'Dron's getting his entire buyout, right, $17 million. To me, that kind of tells me that LSU's got a guy in mind um, because if their boosters are willing to pay $17 million, then they're going to fork out some other money, you know, some top-tier money, some $8 million, nine, potentially $9 million a year for the next head coach. Um, I think they've kind of got their guy in, in, in mind, and we won't know that, obviously, for a couple more weeks, really. Um, but in how it relates to Alabama, I think that LSU, I mean, this is a big decision because this next head coach, whoever they get, will probably be coaching when Nick Saban, you know, ultimately retires, right, when Nick Saban's gone. 
And so um, by, by kind of Saban's last act here, I think, um, is that, man, like I, I don't really see LSU, depending on who they get, as a threat, right? Because this program, they have, they have a lot of off-the-field issues, um, you know, with Title IX and then just a lot of scandal around them as a whole. Uh, I, 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 I don't see LSU really being a threat um, to Alabama's throne, right? And that's so crazy to think about because, you know, the year after LSU goes and wins a title, Alabama beats them 22 to 9, uh, 17, just absolutely destroys them in Baton Rouge. And then this year, you know, they had a nice win against Florida. But when they come to Tuscaloosa in a couple of weeks, I don't see that game being within three touchdowns. Um, so to me, I just I don't view LSU as the threat anymore to Alabama. Um, I don't even I know Texas A&M just beat Alabama two weeks ago. I still don't view Texas A&M as the threat to Alabama moving forward in this conference. Um, but kind of what's your take on that situation and how it pertains to Alabama? It's definitely uh, interesting. It'll be a crazy uh, thing to watch going forward. I think it's interesting what you said about that they have someone in mind. I think that can definitely be true because as you pointed out, you know, they just beat Florida and they still fired him, you know, before or after the game um, or reached the separation agreement, whatever you want to call it. Um, so clearly they probably have people in mind. It's going to be a really interesting coaching search to watch. I'm, you'll hear every name under the sun out there. And I've already seen stuff about Jimbo and Dabo and um, with LSU and what, what kind of money they have and what they want and what they've experienced. Um, that's kind of the crazy thing about college football is there's really only so many coaches out there that have won national championships. Um, and that's what LSU wants. And that's what they just experienced in 2019. And, um, you know, like you talked about, and like I kind of wrote about, life comes at you fast in the SEC West that you can go from being 15 and 0 to not having a job um, two years later. And so I think that's a really good point that you brought up about whoever they hire will ultimately probably be their coach um, when Saban's in Alabama, even though who knows, you know, nobody really knows how long Saban will keep coaching. Um, there's a lot of scenarios that can play into that but you probably know more about this than me but uh, obviously anytime there's a coaching change it affects recruiting um, a little bit and so um, that'll be something to look at it about how it affects Alabama but uh, anytime there's coaching changes in the west it also you know it just shakes up the division but I think it also should remind Alabama fans um, to be the thankful for the consistency they have and not just the consistency but the consistency of excellence that they've been able to experience um, after the AM loss, there's a lot of people, you know, calling for both coordinators' heads, um, wanting them to be fired, wanting things to be shaken up. But, um, you know, Alabama's still six and one now, first in the division, um, coming off a national championship perfect season. So, um, you know, obviously there was there were areas of improvement and still are for this Alabama team. But when you look at some of these other programs in the SEC West and what they've been through, um, you know, the the consistency obviously of Alabama is unmatched. Yeah. And, and handling success. That's the biggest thing I get out of this is that there's only so few coaches in this business who can handle that. And, and obviously coach O couldn't, and, and you mentioned recruiting to me, Alabama's obviously had some success in Louisiana over the last couple of years. Uh, and really, I mean, they've kind of got the big fish out of that state. I mean, uh, I, I think of so many big names, you know, like Landon Collins. He's one of the first guys that comes to mind that really is part of that Louisiana pipeline. I mean, look at look at the Alabama defense last year, right? You had three guys from Baton Rouge who started on the defense last year. Dylan Moses, Christian Harris, Christopher Allen. Three guys, like literally 
Like Dylan Moses, before he went to IMG, Christian Harris, you know where they went to school, Caddy? They went to University Lab. And we were in Bat- when we were in Baton Rouge for the game last year, I was on a run. And literally University Lab, the school's campus and their football field, touches LSU's campus. Yeah. How do you let talents like that go away? And Ed Ogeron, his biggest thing was, oh, he's a recruiter, right? That was his biggest plus. He could, he has that draw that he can lure, lure kids in. And to me now, depend, it, it all is all contingent, obviously, on who LSU gets. And there's two, there's two tiers, I think, to this. If LSU goes gouts and gets a proven winner, well, they're not getting Jimbo. That's already been shut down. That's already, I think that's 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 already put to bed. But if they say they get Elaine Kiffin, I think that does change things, right? But if they go out here and you hear other names like Billy Napier, Mel Tucker, would you like, think about this? Would you hire those people, Katie, if they didn't, if they weren't attached to Nick Saban? But I think that's why a school like LSU would want to hire them because they're attached to Nick no, Saban. No, 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 that's my point. It's like, but yeah, all, yeah. I agree. Is like you shouldn't hire them if you wouldn't hire them if they were only. Like, if the only reason you're hiring them is because they're attached to Nick Saban, then you shouldn't hire them, right? Because you're LSU. And that's my point is like right now, like USC, like the gap between LSU and USC right now, the two, the two biggest jobs that are open to me is, is gargantuan. Like LSU is a far better job than USC. And like I said, if they go out and they get a Mel Tucker or they get a, you know, Billy Napier, again, I I don't see those guys as threats to Nick Saban or Alabama at all. I don't know. Maybe these schools just have a little bit of hope now that the first former assistant's finally beaten him. They want to try and recreate that lightning in a bottle. But yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see who they go after. Um, and if they really did kind of have someone in mind, um, you know, they, they kind of brought Ed Orgeron home, the Louisiana boy. It didn't work out for them in the long run. I don't know, but it, it, I say it didn't work out. They did get a national championship out of it. So it, I guess it just depends on, you know, what they – ultimately, though, in the end, obviously it didn't work out as he's leaving two years after the national championship. Also, you know, when you were going through the Louisiana boys at Alabama, how could you forget the Slim Reaper, last year's Heisman Trophy winner? Yeah. yeah. You, know, Devon, you know, Devontae Smith – and here's the thing. You know, LSU I, – I think back on his recruitment. I mean, LSU was, was there, I mean, kind of early. But really, I mean, at the end of the day, he was a Georgia commit. And then he decommits from Georgia and goes to Alabama. So, like – LSU was an afterthought in that in that in that in that recruitment as well. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like LSU to me, I mean, they've just they've swung and missed on a lot of prospects, and the fact that you know, in what Alabama's in their last seven or eight meetings, they've only beat Alabama once, and that was with Coach O. And the only time they did is when they had a generational coordinator in Joe Brady and a generational quarterback in Joe Burrow. And so, like I said, th- things could shake up in the SEC West. You know, if LSU is able to go out and get Elaine Kiffin, I think he could challenge Alabama really at LSU just because of the resources there. But we'll see. It's just interesting. Um, and obviously, um, a- you know, Alabama is going to be interested in that because, you know, Nick Saban, I mean, there's just another disciple potentially and one of the other guys I named potentially going to LSU. So it's always the coaching carousel is always interesting and always fun. Um, Katie, this week you guys are, you, you mentioned you heard from Bryce Young, you heard from John Mechie. This week going into this Tennessee game, I want to pose this question to you. And you kind of mentioned it because if you look at the players right here, they're so young. They don't even remember the last time Tennessee won, right? 2006. It was a long time ago. Is this, is this still a rivalry? 
Yeah, I think it still is um, for the fans. I think kind of one unique twist to it for this year, not that uh, because the players haven't really experienced true rivalry in the sense of like wins and losses. I think something that's been kind of interesting is, um, you know, Brandon Turnage, former Alabama defensive back, is at Tennessee. And then Henry Toa the linebacker from Tennessee, is now Alabama. So I think that's kind of something that's keeping the rivalry a little interesting this year. Um, but the Alabama players have had only good things to say about Turnage this week. They still keep up with him. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe Toa split from Tennessee wasn't so amicable, but that was in the middle of a coaching change. And um, but I think that kind of adds a freshness to the riv- rivalry this year. I don't know if truly on the field how much the players really understand it, kind of like I said earlier. I think for the fans, it still means a lot. Um, I think the tradition of the cigars for the players and fans kind of keeps it alive. But, um, you know, we talked to Malachi Moore on Monday, I believe, and um, he said uh, that – you know, he last year he got to play in the Tennessee game, had a big fumble recovery for a touchdown, but it was in front of the limited COVID crowd. So he's excited to play in front of his first um, rivalry full capacity crowd, which I think is going to be kind of exciting for the players this week. Obviously, multiple times this year they've played in front of some really crazy environments, um, but this will be, I guess, kind of the first rivalry environment in front of the full crowd since 2019. In a night game in Bryant-Denny, that's another big thing. Yeah. If you remember two years ago, that game against Tennessee in 2019, the Trayvon Diggs, you know, 100-yard scoop and score game, uh, that was one, I think that was the first game where they introduced the LED lights, the, the red and white ones. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yep, I'm, I remember um, when the players were coming out of the tunnels and – or during warm-ups and they turned the lights on and everyone freaked out. So and it started yeah. at like it, the kick was like 8 p.m. Central. So I'm yeah. glad that is that is not the case mm-hmm. this year at all. Um, 6 p.m. on ESPN, the mothership. Yeah, you know, it to me, I mean, and for 14 years in a row, I mean, that's it, that's a long, long, long time. And, and kind of I was kind of listening to Josh Heupel this week talk about the rivalry and, and things like that. And obviously, you know, Tennessee, had they beat Ole Miss, had they beat Pitt, you know, they would have been coming into this game, what, you know, six and one as well. And, and they had, they were a couple of plays away from really being six and one. So this really is to me, if Hendon Hook, if Hendon Hooker is available, he's a way better option than Joe Milton. I mean, Joe Milton, I mean, the Michigan transfer, uh, who, who was the opening day starter for Tennessee, he's been terrible with his accuracy. He has the arm strength. He's been awful with the accuracy. Um, you, Tennessee, you got to feel better with your chances with Hendon Hooker dealing with a knee injury. But if he's able to play, um, Tennessee's got some weapons on the outside with Velas Jones Jr. Um, and Javante Payton. And if Tyron Tyon Evans, who's one of the who's been one of the best running backs in the SEC this year, if he's healthy, he missed the Ole Miss game. Then to me, this game is is really intriguing. Um, I don't know if Alabama covers the twenty four and a half. That's really big for a rivalry game um, of this sort because I think, you know, Josh Heupel, you know, they're, they're Tennessee's coach. He's going to be introduced to a new setting um, into a ruckus environment in Bryant-Denny. I just – I don't – it's going to be too much for the Tennessee, I think, in this game. Um, but Alabama, again, they've got to be consistent. They've got to build off this, right? They've got to build off this Mississippi State game because we've seen Alabama already this season – have some dominating performances, and then come back with a lackluster performance. And I don't think they're going to lay down at home at all, especially going into the bye week. Because I know everybody's looking forward to that, right? They're getting that week off. um, Because once they hit that bye week, right, 
every Nick Saban kind of trains people in that building. Hey, it's a new season after the bye week. Um, so Alabama's really got to capitalize on this good performance from Mississippi State um, and not lay down at all because Tennessee's got some talent, not as much as Alabama, of course, in this game, not yet, but they, they, they've got enough to stay competitive, I think, for just for, for three quarters maybe. Yeah, I'd agree. Like I said, I haven't gotten to watch them a ton, but they've showed flashes of some really good offense. And like you said, they've kind of been dealing with some injuries. Um, it's kind of been interesting. I, I I don't know, you know, what the status of their quarterback's going to be um, tomorrow on the SEC coaches teleconference. Maybe Hypo will address it. But something I've learned this year talking when we've been traveling to the other schools, talking to people on other beats, other coaches aren't as open about injuries as Nick Saban. I guess when you're the best, you don't really have anything to hide. And you know, don't really care if people know who's injured on your team, but a lot of coaches don't like to talk about that, which makes sense. You don't want to give away your game plan. But from what some of the Alabama players and coaches have been saying, I would think they they're kind of they're they're prepping for both quarterbacks because multiple times they've mentioned, you know, Tennessee's two quarterbacks. So I think they're gonna be ready for whoever uh Tennessee throws out there. But um I agree that it, it has the potential to be um you know, Tennessee can hang for a little while, but it's also important, like you said, that Alabama is able to repeat uh, this performance, which is kind of what Saban said after the game on Saturday and earlier this week, that it's good that they played well on Saturday, but can they repeat that? You know, um, Christian Harris kind of talked about that with today with last week, you know, they didn't prepare well before A&M and then they did against this week against Mississippi State and or last week against Mississippi State. And that's what they want to keep doing. They don't want to repeat the bad preparation and I think like you said earlier in the podcast the AM game is kind of a wake-up call for them I think it's up to the leadership on this team which I think has been lacking um, and so I think it'll be important on Saturday to see if Alabama can um, repeat a type of performance like they had at Mississippi State it doesn't I, I think sometimes now people just have somewhat unrealistic expectations for Alabama that the defense should never give up points never give up touchdowns and you know, this isn't 2011 anymore. It's going to happen. Um, so if the defense gives up 14 or 21 points, does that mean that it wasn't a complete performance? I don't know. It, you know, a lot of it depends on how the game plays out. But um, I, it, it'll be important to see if this team can have a, another 60-minute game, as Saban likes to keep saying this year. Yeah, and, and this leadership on this team, I mean, it's young, but they're adapting. And you just kind of see where – you just kind of get the feel, Katie – and maybe I'm looking too much into this after beating, you know, Mississippi State by 40 points. Um, and Mississippi State, they, they've been better than their record shows. I just want to go and say that. I mean, people can sit there and say, oh, it's just Mississippi State. Well, Mississippi State more than likely should have beat Memphis. Mississippi State more than likely should have beat LSU. Um, they had chances to win both of those ball games. And in the Memphis game, they got absolutely screwed on one call when, when literally the ball was down and a punt return for a touchdown. They lose yeah. the game against Memphis, whatever. Um, that was a talented Mississippi State team, I think, um, com compared to other years. Uh, and so Nick Saban is going to adjust. He's going to adapt. He's going to get, his, he's going to get the most out of his guys, right? That's, that's what I think is one of his best attributes is that when you think they're down, you think they're out. This happens almost every single year they win a national championship with the exception of 2020 and 2009. They lose a game. You think they're done. Oh, tell me why the dynasty's dead. Tell me why, you know, Nick Saban isn't the best coach in college football anymore. Well, they, they go out and they prove you wrong and they play their best football toward the latter part of the year. And that's why I think Alabama is trending in the, a better direction than Georgia right now. And the only reason I say that is because – of one, of Georgia's schedule, and two, the quarterback play. 
I think it all comes down to that. I've been saying that for weeks on here. We don't, we're not going to get in that too much right now, but Stetson Bennett is not going to lead Georgia to an SEC title. He's not going to lead Georgia to a national title. Um, I, I'm very confident when I say that. Katie, lastly, I want to get into what you saw, um, what you heard from Nate Oates um, on Alabama Basketball's Media Day on Tuesday. It's exciting. Basketball's around the corner. Alabama, number 14 in the AP poll um, in the preseason. Exciting. You know, tip-off is only a few weeks away, November 9th against Louisiana Tech in Coleman Coliseum. And, uh, and they got a charity game this weekend against Louisiana Lafayette, which should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it was exciting to be able to be at something in person today during the week. We got to watch a little bit of Alabama basketball practice. It was just the very end of their scrimmage. Um, definitely, you know, still the high pace, uh, fast scoring teams. Um, today he had, um, you know, obviously when they're scrimmaging against each other, it's not going to be all the starters on the same team split up um but it was interesting to see them and hear from them we got to talk to Keon Ellis Javon Quinterly and Shackelford um and it from what NATO said and from what the three of them said they're really expected to be the leaders of the team this year both on and off the court um NATO is really confident in the backcourt he has and his guards and you know he said when you have good guards you're gonna win a lot of games it's kind of they're kind of unexperienced um up front with some of their forwards but he seemed really high on freshman Charles Bediaco um, you know, Alex Chiku's still working back from the injury. He seems really high on Noah Gurley, the, the transfer from Furman. He kind of mentioned him as a leader, too, because um, he's an older guy, even though he hasn't been in Alabama. Um, but, yeah, he, he talked about – it was kind of interesting. They had the, you know, secret scrimmage with Georgia Tech on this past Saturday where, you know, no fans – yeah, secret um, – where there's no, like, fans or media allowed, but – they'll you know sometimes leak a little stats from the game um, but he talked about there was times where they had JQ, Shaq, J.D. Davison the highly touted freshman five-star uh, in-state prospect top prospect out of the state of Alabama and Keon Ellis all four on the floor at the same time with and he also mentioned that Betty Ako started at the five which he said it might not stay that way but um, it could be going forward so um, there will be a lot of new faces on Alabama basketball this year to look out for. Um, you know, they did lose the transfer, Namari Barnett, to an ACL injury um, a couple weeks ago. But there's still a lot of new faces. There will be, um, you know, there's some guys that didn't maybe play a ton last year that will get more playing time this year, like Darius Miles and Keon Ambrose Hilton. Um, but it's it's an exciting time to be an Alabama basketball fan. Um like you said, they're number 14 preseason in the AP, picked number two in the SEC. Um, and so the guys talked a lot about that today, too. You know, they know they have a target on their backs. They know that people don't think they're going to be able to do as good as they did last year, and that's motivation for them. Um, kind of one of their team – I can't remember if they said team words or something like that is hunger this year. Even though they had success last year, they still have the hunger to do just as good, if not better, than last year. And that's part of why, you know, Shackelford kind of – potentially looked at the NBA, even though there wasn't really a shot at that for him this year. He put his name in the transfer portal, but he came back because he wanted to work with this group of guys. So um, it was good to be able to talk to them in person today and watch a little bit of practice. And um, fans will get a little more uh, sneak peek of that on Sunday with the charity exhibition. And then the season's right around the corner. Yeah, J.D. Davidson's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I, I started covering him when he was a sophomore in high school at Calhoun. I, I've watched him win state titles. He is just – he's athletic. He's long. 
Um, he's a playmaker. Uh, he goes 90 to nothing. And I remember talking to his high school coach and um, his high school coach just comparing, kept comparing him to Russell Westbrook. And I'm like, I think that's perfect, right? He's getting downhill. Um, he, he, he has no off switch. That is J.D. Davison. He has no off switch. I can't wait to see him and Javon Quinterly play together. I think Nate alluded that uh, a couple weeks ago in their first availability when practice started, um, that they would be playing um, some minutes together. And it is a new team, right? I mean, you look at the people who actually contributed. Um, you know, uh, you, you had um, Darius Miles, right, come off the bench. Uh, sorry, sorry, he was, you know, he was kind of a guy who they were – he's a project right now, right? Keon Ambrose Hilton. Take those two away. Keon Ellis, Javon Quinley, Jawan Gary, uh, and Jane Shackelford. Those are only really the four – key guys that that have returned you know um Jawan Gary too in there is a mix as well he, you know he's a glue guy things like that um he comes off the bench he brings high energy but really I mean you mentioned it Noah Gurley J.D. Davison Charles Bediaco uh you know th these are guys that are going to be contributing in their new faces and and I'm really excited to see Noah Gurley I'm really excited to see what he can do. His skill set, he's very versatile. Um, he, he's, he's got a nice shot. He can play some defense. And Charles Bediaco, when you have some size down low, when you have a guy who's, who's seven foot, uh, who, can, who, can, who, can, who can protect the rim, yeah. um, who can stretch the floor. And two, I know Alex Chiku isn't cleared yet, uh, but you got to think he's going to get some playing time early in the season just to see what you can get out of him. He's another guy who's, you know, he's all, he's all of six foot 11. Uh, excited to see what him and Betty Yako can do together. Um, but the guards to me um, is what I'm most excited to see because it is a NATO system and the guards are the trademark, right? The guards are the engine that helps everything operate and makes it run smoothly. And, you know, Javon Quinley today was, um, you know, on the uh, Bob Cousy watch list, right, for the best point guard in America. And then Alabama picked second in the SEC preseason to uh, in the SEC media rankings. Um, Kentucky picked to win the conference. Um, but Alabama's got high expectations, right? Last year, I remember, I think Alabama was predicted to finish six. This year, second. So Nate Oates in year three has raised the expectation level. And, and yes, Katie, what's an offseason in Alabama basketball without a big injury? I mean, you go ahead and you lose James Rojas. Then you lose... Uh, Namari Burnett, which is just brutal. I, I hate that for that kid. But it just feels like, man, like you have all this momentum. And last year was an awesome year, man. Best year in, in decades. And it was incredible. Um, but it just seems like, man, can Alabama not have anything nice? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it makes the bench really short before the season even starts. Uh, that you have, You're going to have to rely on other guys. Um, you hate it for them. It does seem like there have been a lot of these uh, off-season injuries um, the last couple of years with Alabama basketball. Um, but hopefully, you know, all these guys will um, be able to recover well and get back out on the floor. I think losing to Mari Burnett is probably the toughest, even though, I mean, I know um, Rojas was someone maybe some people thought would be bumped out because of the numbers, but he was asked back, which means, you know, Nate Oates saw something in him that he wanted to be a part of this team. So it, I mean, anytime you lose a scholarship player uh, for the year before the year even starts, it's tough. But, um, and I think that's kind of, you know, with Rojas as a forward, I think that's kind of where uh, I almost said saving where Oates is talking about, um, you know, lacking some of the experience maybe down um, with the bigs. But um, I think Alabama, if, if they can stay 
relatively injury free the rest of the year, just minor things. Um, it, it can still be a big year for them, but as we've also seen the last couple of years, they seem to have had some bad injury luck during the season and not everyone can be a Herb Jones and play with shoot free throws with one hand, but, um, it, it is kind of the toughness that Nate Oates instills that blue collar mentality. So, um, I'm sure we'll see, um, more of that blue collar, uh, attitude this season. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I am pumped. And I was looking at the schedule because, you know, when the AP poll gets released, you kind of look at all these matchups. And Alabama, you already look at it. I mean, we're not even including teams who could rise up in the polls or who are unranked now on their schedule who could get up there. Alabama could play 17 ranked opponents right now. Yeah, that it's absurd. Nice. That is absurd. Yeah, Nate Oates was saying today we got to do a better job in the offseason. Um, or not – he was saying – we have to do a better job in the – he was calling it the preseason, but he meant the, like, non-conference schedule because he was saying that um, – he was like, we didn't do a good job last year. We were only four and three, and we kind of let the SEC down. He was like – when he was asked about the SEC as a whole and talking about how um, – but it, it's not going to be easy for Alabama this year. They played more non-conference games. You know, the season was shortened less games last year because of COVID – um, but it's it's not an easy slate at all for Alabama. Um, you know, only the two, is that right, regular season SEC losses last year. That'll be pretty tough to do this year. Um, but it, it's it's a big schedule. Um, and I think, you know, they're, they've been talking about they still have season tickets. So it's probably a wise investment for Crimson Tide fans with um, some of the big non-conference and conference matchups coming into Coleman Coliseum if, you want to see the chance to get this to watch this team and some of these big games at face value. No, yeah, it's the stretch to me on that schedule. That's it, just brutal. Is that Alabama? If they get to the the championship of that uh, that tournament in Orlando, they could play Kansas preseason top ten team, right? Then that next weekend, the same day as the SEC football championship, you go up to Seattle and play Gonzaga. Okay, the next Saturday you play Houston. What did Houston do? They were just in the Final Four. What did Gonzaga do? Oh, Gonzaga was in the national championship game. Uh, then you go in the, then you go play Memphis on a on a midweek game. Memphis just had the number one recruiting class in the country. They just signed two of the top five guys in last year's cycle. Um, so uh, that's going to be a you know a Ross's environment um, up there with against Penny Hardaway in the FedEx Forum. So yeah, this schedule is brutal. But what I love about Nato's is that he realizes that okay, if we get tested now then the SEC schedule to us is going to be not a walk in the park at all because you're not going to go 16-2 and two every year, right, like they did last year. You're just not going to do that. But it's but it gets easier. It, 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 it just to, I mean, it seems like almost, okay, we can do this, right? We've already played the best teams in the country. Um, and, and, you know, Alabama's got a top-five schedule right now. Um, and the good news is, is that Alabama, when you look at their road games, really, um, this year, Florida will be difficult. Missouri is always tough for some reason. Uh, you know, Missouri Missouri could go 500 in the SEC and Alabama could still lose there. I mean, one of their two losses last year was at Missouri, even yep. though Alabama almost mounted a furious comeback in the second half late in that game. At Mississippi State, not that not that challenging on the surface level. Georgia, I mean, even though Mississippi State did get some nice pieces through the transfer portal like Rocket Watts from Michigan State, Georgia's, you know, okay, you, Alabama's won there the last two years there. Kentucky – Okay, uh, Vanderbilt's always a tough place to play, but Bama broke that streak uh, last year. 
Um, and then LSU, right? So Alabama's got a decent schedule on the road. And then at home, you know, you, you've, you, and the good news is the home teams you got, you got Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Auburn, of course, at home. Um, so those are those are obviously big games. But, yeah, I, I like the schedule, even though it is challenging. Um, and I think it's going to test Alabama. And I think Alabama, you know, has got to come out swinging um, because Louisiana Tech, you know, that's an under-the-radar game. Because when Alabama schedules mid-majors, even when Nate Oates, uh, these are mid-majors that can beat you on any given night. So uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And, and I'm glad you were able to go to practice and, and on Tuesday and see that because, to me, this team – um, has kind of got the firepower that, that last year's team had. Maybe not the vet, the you know, the heavy laden veteran leadership, but man, they're gonna be fun to watch because JD Davison, he's a one and done in my opinion. He, he's a first round pick next year, and I hope fans get out there and watch him. And Javon Quinley as well can play himself into the first round. And Keon Ellis is a guy already being looked at as a second round NBA guy. So Alabama's got you know this pipeline really to the NBA going. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about Georgia's schedule. You know, they haven't really been challenged yet. And then what you were saying about NATO schedules, these tough teams, it, Alabama, you know, will get the chance to be challenged early on, and then it helps them in the back end. It helps them in the SEC schedule. It helps them in the postseason. Um, and it's going to be the same this year, maybe even more challenging. Um, and so you don't have as much experience on this team as last year's. You know, last year's was just a special senior class with – uh, Reese Petty and Herb and then the transfer Jordan Bruner so you don't have as much of veteran experience on this team but the talent is there and like you said with J.D. Davison a really highly rated prospect um, gonna be really exciting um, gonna kind of be like when you know Colin Sexton came in that type of energy that type of hype um, that type of skill level um, and so you know Nate Oates today was saying he's a little raw obviously but today was probably his best day of practice he's had um, and he's really excited for his ceiling so should be another exciting year for Alabama basketball, which I think really for if you followed Alabama basketball for a while um, before Nate Oates, it was kind of like Groundhog Day all over again every season, kind of the same thing, middle to bottom of the pack of the SEC, eight and 10, nine and nine, 10 and eight every year. Um, but Nate Oates kind of obviously took Alabama out of that mediocrity last year and brought them to a new level. And it's something they're looking to maintain this year. You know, I said all those games, Katie, and I, and I forgot to mention the reigning national champions will be coming to Tuscaloosa in January. Baylor, I, I completely missed, looked over that, overlooked that game. So yeah, uh, just another small one. On the schedule. Yeah, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty small game, right? Pretty insignificant. But no, Katie, it was great talking to you. Uh, hope you have a great rest of your week. We love the coverage you bring us at Bama Central. Uh, look forward to the Tennessee game, and then you'll have a bye week. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun here down the home stretch. Thank you for everything you do for us at Bama Central. Yep, always enjoy being on. Um, thank y'all for listening and for reading along on Bama Central. Awesome. Well, that's Katie Wyndham. I'm Tyler Martin. This has been another edition of the All Things Bama podcast. Please make sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great week.